The, uh, <clears throat> the video is maybe a little bit sobering, isn't it? And, and I think the reality is the message today, we're going to be in James chapter 3, so if you have your Bibles, you can go there, whether you're watching online or here in the room. Um, I'm getting over a little bit of a cold, so I will try to project. Uh, but we, we started last week this idea of looking at the power of our words and how do we use our words, what's the scripture have to say about that. Um, and we looked at James 1.19, and today we're going to look, pick up where James kind of goes uh, in, in James chapter 3. But in James 1.19, uh, just, for, just for fun, uh, you probably don't normally do this, uh, but anyone memorize James 1.19? We talked about this new rhythm that we are to have when it comes to our words. Anyone memorize? Anyone bold enough to want to give it a go right now? If you are, just raise your hand. I'm ready. If not... That's okay. I, I just want to let you know there's a gift card on the line. So just, <laughs> if that entices any of you, James 1.19, my brothers and sisters, take note of this. You all right? You all right? You all right? Art, you want to give it a go? No? Okay, okay, okay. So um, we'll, we'll table that. But just saying, you might want to memorize James 1.19 for next week. Or come back for the second service. So, okay. Um, James 1.19, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. For anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. There's this new rhythm that James is introducing to us of here's what we're to be about. And here's the rhythm we're to have. And friends, the reason I camp on this is I'm becoming convinced that the church has failed at this. And you're the church, and so am I. And that we, if we don't get this right, we will continue to lose our ability to have a voice in a culture and into the world around us. I, I think this is a big deal. That's why we're spending the whole entire month looking at words, uh, because I, I think the scriptures has a lot to say about this, from the negative side, the sobering side, maybe what we just saw in the video, the power of our words and, and what it can do, what words have been spoken over to you and how that's impacted you. Uh, the reality is we all use words. How many of you use words in your life? Yes, okay, another brave question. How many of you think women use more words than men? I'm not raising my hand. I'm doing that. Um, uh, Luann Bizendine was a founder and director of, a, this is a really long name, University of California, San Francisco Women's Mood and Hormone Clinic. That's a long name. Uh, she published The Female Brain back in 2006, and one of the cited gems was that on average, women spoke 20,000 words per day, nearly three times more than men at 7,000 words a day. Now, that got a bunch of psychologists thinking, that doesn't seem right. And it doesn't sound right, because it isn't right. And so folks in different uh, 
kind of psychology departments across the country, one in the University of Texas, Austin, and one in University of Arizona, Bear Down, um, about a year later published their results as they went and studied and said, hey, if people are awake about 17 hours a day, let's give them seven hours of sleep. If they're awake about seven, 17 hours a day and they're speaking, they kind of uh, went through and did a whole bunch of testing of this and they came out to being, listen, about the same. About the same. Uh, women averaged about 16,215 words per day. Men, 15,669 words. Uh, men had, uh, there was one male uh, who roughly used 500 words a day. That was the low end. Anyone work with someone like that at your workplace? Like, they don't say anything. Okay, uh, there, men were also the whopping over 47,000 words a day. Anyone work next to that coworker? So, Okay, but in terms of significance, Pennebaker and his study, uh, along with that, said, no, no, there's really not much difference with the volume of words that people use, men or women. The truth is, we all use our words. We all use them equally. But listen, they're not equally weighted. Words are not equally weighted. That's why... It's so rare for us to forget negative words. In fact, if we could be honest and you could say, hey, Jack, uh, could we go grab coffee? My hunch is if it was just you and me in the coffee shop and we could really talk about life, like the real life, my hunch is for some of you in the room, you had words spoken at you or over you from two, three, maybe even four decades ago that are still a soundtrack in your head and they run your life. And some of that is bad and it's the soundtracks that, that have an impact upon you that continue to shade and shape how you approach life. For some of you, you've been blessed, hashtag blessed, and you've had people pour encouragement into you. But isn't it interesting that it takes usually 10 positive comments to outweigh one negative comment. Studies have shown that. We all use our words equally, but they are not equally weighted. And what James is going to get at here in chapter 3 is, is kind of sobering. Just going to let you know up front. It's kind of sobering in the source of that. He says, you know, really, if you study words and look at that, the source of words has an impact upon us. That's why a random person in the crowd can yell something condescending to you, and you can blow it off. Why? Because you don't know them. And, and there's no weight given to them because there's no relationship there. But if a boss says something, then that weighs heavier on you. See, words have weight to them. Coaches' words have weight to them. Family friends have words that are weighted upon them, more so than maybe the store clerk that you happen to go into two or three times a week. Moms, your, we your words weigh 500 pounds. They just do. And being in ministry now for 30 years, dads, your words weigh the most. I can just tell you counseling session after counseling session. Dad, your words weigh the most. Why is that? I don't know. I just know it is. And that's why I'm honest. If, if we could just have coffee, I, I bet 
there's some people in the room who'd be willing to say, man, 15 years ago, my dad said this. 35 years ago, my dad, my mom said this. And it's still a soundtrack in your head. And it still rules your soul. See, words are equally distributed, but they are not equally weighted. And, and I think what James is going to get at here is we have to know that. And that is so countercultural to a world and to a culture that just uses words like crazy. I mean, to you and to me, we just use our words like crazy. And, and so often we forget the weight of our words. So how do you begin to process this? How many of us have been wounded by words? Every word you speak has weight to it, to the people around you. So in James chapter 3, verse 2, here's what he says. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is what? Perfect. Anyone willing to admit they're perfect here? No. Anyone who is never at fault, raise your hand if you've been at fault in what, what you said. Yeah, I'll raise both hands. Okay. We've all messed up with our words. Anyone who's never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. Gain control of your mouth and your words, and you will gain control over your life. You'll have less regret. You'll have less trouble. This is a powerful statement that he goes off, and then he begins to illustrate this. And so let's just kind of walk through some of the illustrations he has. Verse 3, when we put bits in the mouths of horses, we can make them obey us, and we can turn the entire animal. If you get control of the mouth of a horse, you can control and steer and lead the whole animal. How many of you have been horseback riding before? Okay, and you know this to be true. I've got a, a daughter who's now 16, but I remember when she was about six years old. We took her to a friend's house who had a stable and horses, and we put her on the horse. And I remember as a dad thinking, this is a great thing. And then I see her out there, and I'm realizing, this is a 1,500-pound animal that I put my little 40-pound little girl on when she's soaking wet. And she's steering this horse around the corral. This horse could eat her. This horse, if it fell on her, would crush her. And yet here she is, steering this horse around the corral, making it go where she wants it to go with her trainer next to her. It's crazy to begin to get your mind around that picture. That's what James is saying. Hey, this little part of you controls so much. It has such an impact. Another rapid-fire example. He says, or take ships, verse 4. As an example, although they are so large or driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot or the captain wants it to go. Ships back then were some of the biggest construction pieces that were put into place outside of buildings. And yet this little tiny rudder would steer it through these powerful winds and take it where it needs to go. Here's the principle of our words. <clears throat> they are a small part, but they have huge influence. Your tongue is a small part of you, but it has huge influence. Bigger impact and bigger influence than maybe you even recognize, and me too. Our words matter. Likewise, he goes on, verse 5, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boast. Small part, big influence. That's what I want you to get today. Small part, 
big influence. We're introduced to a new rhythm last week. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Now I got to recognize small part, big influence. Think about the size of your tongue. I mean, think about your tongue for a second. I know it's kind of gross. Um, but if you think about it, it's what, four or five, maybe six inches, depending on what kind of tongue you got. I mean, it's kind of gross to think about it. I get it. Um, but you know that tongue has eight muscles? Isn't that weird? I find that weird. Your tongue has eight muscles in it. Do you know it's the only muscles in the entire human body that never tire? You will strain every muscle but your tongue. Think about that. That's crazy. James goes on, consider what a great forest is set on fire but a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and it itself is set on, by, on fire by hell. What, James? Okay, James. Whoo, you're a little tense here. Okay, small part, big influence, got it. Everything bad, small, doesn't stop, sets things on fire. Okay, what do you want me to do about that? He goes, no, 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 I'm not done yet. The whole thing, it sets everything on fire. It itself gets set on fire by hell. That's why, have you ever said something out loud that was really harmful and damaging and then stopped yourself and said, where did that come from? Am I the only one who's done that? James is telling you where it's coming from. It's from the father of lies. It's from hell itself. Like, I bet you've been in conversations where you've said something and like the moment it comes off your lips, you're like, who am I right now? James is telling you. He's telling me. This is sobering. Like, this isn't the pick-me-up message that maybe you were hoping to hear today. We'll get there, I think. But, like, I think we need to feel the gravity of this, the soberness of it. Um, if you've ever, I mean, you all live here in Oracle. You, you remember the fires a couple years ago right? You remember the fires that were kind of raging up the, the mountain range here. It started by a little lightning strike. I saw the lightning strike. We were up watching it in the backyard, seeing the storm, saw it, saw a little bit of fire, thought, oh, nothing of it. And then what, over the next, what, two, three months, the entire mountain range is taken up. A small spark starts this huge fire. And that's what James is saying. Your words, my words, our words sometimes can be so <clears throat> Listen, I think sarcasm is a gift sometimes. I feel like it was a given to me. Um, but the older I get, the, the more I realize, man, sarcasm has a punch to it that has a way of doing damage that's subtle, like a small spark, that has a way of lingering, sticking with people, that begins to, to actually burrow into their soul. And maybe does more damage than we think because the laughter in the moment. I'm guilty of that. Sometimes I like it. Sometimes I bet you do too. But I wonder if the, the impact of that, I wonder if the impact sometimes of the words of the conversations that you and I have 
And we think, oh, it's just a small little spark. And yet, maybe we need to think of this image a little bit more in our mind of, hey, did what I say begin to spark that? And maybe I need to be aware or alert to, hey, if I did, I need to go back and own that. I need to go back and, and make that right. See, the tongue is also a fire. He says, think about this. James is being focused on this challenging stuff, but here's the reality. Divorce can be initiated by what I said in sarcasm first. Abuse can come and flow from out of what words we use. Murder can become initiated by the word choices that we use. Wars have been started by the conversations and the words we've used. We are all born with our pilot light lit, is what James is saying. So we need to understand our tongue, our words, they, they help control the whole person. We have examples all the time. Parents, when your child mouths off, <clears throat> what's the first thing that comes to your mind? It's the old adage, I brought you into this world and I could take you out, right? Like there's, and there's words that we use as parents sometimes that are necessary and that are tough, but sometimes we cross lines. There's sometimes where kids cross lines. There's sometimes where siblings cross lines one to another. Parents uh, with with maybe their siblings. There's conversations in workplaces that go. See, I think we have to understand the weight of our words. That's what James's point is. Your words will determine the direction and the quality of your life. They will have a huge impact and a huge influence on you. If I were to ask you, what's the temperature of the relationships that you're involved in? My hunch is somehow that would be calculated by the words that flow within those relationships. That if if things are hot, my hunch is that the words are matching that. If things are good and they're cool and they're wonderful and they're pleasant, my hunch is the words are matching that. And I don't need to tell you this. You know this to be true. You've lived life. And so you see how this plays out. The potential to burn down our relationships and our our, our friendships is so readily available. That's why James is saying it only takes a spark. James chapter 3, verse 6, he says, It corrupts the whole body. It sets the whole course of one's life on fire. And it itself is set on fire. That's why we say things sometimes and go, Where in the world did that come from? Verse 7. All kinds of animals and birds and reptiles and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a, listen to what he says, it is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Well, thanks, James. That's encouraging. What am I supposed to do with that? Like, how am I supposed to, like, okay, what's the, what's the pick-me-up? What's the three handles I'm supposed to have that helps me understand that? And, and James doesn't give you any. And he doesn't give me any. He just wants us to feel the weight of our words. Every kind of animal, 
reptile and bird has been tamed, which means it's been domesticated. Like, you and I are not overrun by animals around us, right? We're not overrun, overtaken by things around us. Sure, we all saw Planet of the Apes, but we're not too worried. Um, like, the idea we've domesticated everything. But what James is saying is your tongue, it can't be tamed. You'll never be able to do it. Verse 8, no, uh, but no human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. You'll never be able to fully get it under control. And then he drills down even further. You ready? Verse 9 through 11. Here we go. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, he uses that phrase again, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? Meaning we can come to church and sing praises like we just did, and it's beautiful and it's lovely and we praise God, and yet we can leave here and we can get into a phone conversation and you can have a conversation tomorrow at work where suddenly that same tongue that was singing praises is now lashing out and untamed and creating damage and wreaking havoc in the people around you. This should not be. And we're all guilty of it. And then what does James say next? Nothing. He moves on. He starts talking about wisdom. Don't you find that weird? Like James literally doesn't say, it's almost like he says, here's all the doom, gloom, gloom, good luck. But friends, I, I kind of wonder if that's the point. I kind of wonder if that's the point of what James is getting at here. Is, hey, this is tough stuff. This is sobering news. This is a challenge for us to wrestle with. And there's a weight to it that I think just needs to settle on us. It helps us understand the gravity of what we're at. See, we look at this and go, okay, James, what's the handle? What, what are we to do with this? What, like, what's the point? How do we begin to work on this if we want to get better at this? But I think he does this on purpose. Uh, Andy Stanley is a pastor in, in Atlanta, and he made a statement several years ago that has stuck with me. He said, there's problems you can solve, and there's tensions you have to manage. There's problems you solve and there's tensions you manage. You cannot solve a tension. You can only solve a problem. And I think that's what James is getting at. Your words, my words, our words are a tension that we will always have to manage. It's not a math problem you solve and move on and you're done with it. There will never be a, a season of life where you arrive and you never have to worry about it again. I think that's what James is getting at. I think what he's drilling down is saying, listen, there is never going to be a point in life where you're done. You'll never get to a place where you've learned a skill set and then now you've accomplished it and arrived and you're never done. You won't mature to a certain level and you'll never have to function or think about your words again. From the moment of your very first word to the moment of your very last word, this will be a tension you'll have to manage. I think that's what James is getting at. There is a constant potential for us to do great good with our words. 
and the opposite of that tension is there's always a potential for us to do great damage with our words. Our words will determine the direction and the quality of our life and our relationships, our family, our job, our workplace, our future. And James is pointing for us to understand the gravity and the weight of our words. So I will give you three quick words that I think will maybe help us get some handles around understanding the soberness of our words. So we introduced a new rhythm last week. That's what James said. There's a new rhythm that we're to have. Understand the gravity of our words this week. And maybe three quick words for that. Recognize. Recognize the power that you have. You have incredible power in your words to to be a person who encourages the people around you, whether that's your family, uh, your, your workmates, whether that's the people in relationship, in your family, in your neighborhood around you, you have incredible potential to utilize and leverage your words to be a blessing to the people around you. What if the church did better at that? Honestly, what if we as the church got better at that? See, we also have the potential to do great damage with our words. So, We must live with a new rhythm. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Why? Because let's be honest. When you're angry, your words probably aren't the best in that moment, are they? Friends, we as the church have got to get better at this. Maybe the second word, recognize, second word is surrender. Surrender your weapon. Your words, surrender your weapon of your words to God and allow him to grow and to wield that weapon in a way that is helpful, not hurtful. That doesn't cause harm, but actually can bring some healing and hope. Romans 12.1 says this, Therefore, brothers and sisters, there it is again, in view of God's mercy, meaning in view of everything Jesus has done, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. See, we worship through song, but that's not the only way to worship. What Paul's saying is, no, we worship through our life, through our living. He's saying, present your bodies, meaning the members of your bodies. What if we misdemeanored a prayer? God, I give you my hands this week to do what you want me to do with them. I give you my feet. Take me to where I need to go to be in partnership with you. I give you my ears. Help me to hear the way you hear the world around me. I give you my eyes. Would you help me to see what you see? And I give you my tongue. Would you leverage my words to speak life into people that they may benefit? We'll talk more about that positive side next week as we continue on in Ephesians. But you and I have our words to leverage. Maybe the third uh, word I give you is so the idea of just recognizing, surrendering our weapon, and the third word is confess. You and I will mess up. It's not if we mess up. It's when you mess up, fess up. When you and I use our words to do damage instead of good, to do harm to people, when our sarcasm scorches the people around us, or we use words of discouragement or shame, or frustration, or anger to do damage to those around us, then we need to own that 
and make that right. Leverage your words. Here's the, <clears throat> the key takeaway for all of today. Your, your mouth cannot be tamed. It can only be guarded. That's what James is saying. Your mouth, my mouth, cannot be tamed permanently forever. There's never a one and done decision that's going to get that. It can only be guarded, which is a continual tension that you'll have to manage. Proverbs 21, 23 says this, the one who guards his or her mouth and their tongue keeps themselves out of trouble. Don't you wish every teenager knew this verse? Now listen, 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 listen. Don't you wish you knew this verse better? <laughs> me too, me too. He who can guard his tongue keeps himself out of trouble. What if the point of what James is trying to say is, listen, you're never going to tame the tongue. It's a restless evil. But you can guard it, and you should get better at guarding it. What if you got better at guarding your tongue? Do you think your relationships would get better? The Cliff Note version is yes, they would. Uh, what if the church got better at guarding its tongue? Do you think their voice would carry further into the lives of the people that are living in a culture that's awash in words, and that's living not in a godly rhythm where they are quick to listen and slow to speak, but they just, they're quick to talk, and they're slow to listen. What if, what if we actually began to do this in a way that allowed us to have some sway into the lives of the people around us because we got better at guarding our tongue? So friends, that's my encouragement to you today, to myself, that we would continue to get better at guarding our tongue. You won't tame it, but you can guard it. So Father, I pray that as we seek to be people who use our words to make a difference in the lives of people, to use our words to bless the relationships that we have, we want to see them be good. We want to see them be helpful, not harmful. Lord, I just ask that you'd help us to be people who live with that new rhythm, who are quicker to listen, slow to speak, slow to be angered. But God, you would also understand the weight of our words. To begin to guard our tongue. Would you help set a warden over our words, internally within our own heart, our own spirit, that we be people who speak life, not damage. And that you'd give us opportunities. God, for some here and some watching online, I know they've had words spoken at them or over them that need your healing touch to be able to break free from a lie that was told, a shame that was spread over them. Jesus, we thank you that you are our Savior. And not just a Savior who takes us to heaven, but a Savior who saves us for every single moment of every single day. You're the one who speaks words of life. It's why people who are nothing like you, liked you, 
because there was something about the way you spoke. So Jesus, even in this next song, would you speak words of life into your people? And would you help generate a heart within us that guards our words that we could speak life to those around us, we pray.